We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Amen. Well, good morning. It is, it is really hard for me just to, to tell you to, after we read Psalm 23 and sing it together, it's really hard for me to not just scrap what I've got and go there and preach this to you. And, and the reason I say that is because Psalm 23 is, is the passage that the Lord used to draw me to himself. And, and so it's very near and dear to my heart because God spoke to me through it. And I was, I was, I was 16 years old. And I was in the midst of a time in my life where everything seemed dark. Uh, I was going through a time of depression, and, and everything around me, I, I didn't know where to look for hope. And the Lord just continued through his servants, through believers in my life, to remind me that in that valley, God was with me and leading me through. Because here's the thing about our God. Our God is a great shepherd, and he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and the thing is, is that wherever you're at in life right now, it's temporary. And, and this shepherd is the one leading us. And so as we talk today about what I would call under-shepherds or, or pastors in Scripture and look at what are church leaders, I hope that as we do that, and I hope that as Cameron and I serve you as pastors in this church, I hope that constantly you are reminded of the great shepherd. Because he is the one who leads the church ultimately. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one who leads us through life. And he is the one that we can trust. And so I'm, I'm going to read our, pas- our main passage for today, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to ask that, that you would just pray with me, okay? Um, we're going we're to talk about what church leaders are today, and I want you to hear what Paul has to say before we do that, and then we're going to kind of walk through some of it together. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, here's what Paul says about church leaders. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, in other words, pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach and the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Would you pray with me? 
King Jesus, we, we come to you now uh, asking for understanding of your church. God, we've been looking through your word lately at, at what, it, what it means to be the church, and, and today we look at how the church is led and who it's led by, and, and God, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your help. We ask that you would speak to us. Jesus, we pray that you would lead us as, as a local church and, and help us, Cameron and I, as, as the pastors here and as those who shepherd underneath you. We pray for your wisdom and help. We acknowledge our great need of you. We know that we ultimately, we need you to lead us through life. And so, God, we come to you now asking that you would lead us through your word and speak to us as we seek to understand. And God, we pray that you would use your word, your gospel, to bring transformation in us and in our church and in our communities and to the ends of the earth. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what, what role have church leaders played in your life? I know for me, as I, as I think back on my own life and, and my own walk with Christ, I, I remember that church leaders are, are the ones who taught me the gospel. They taught me what it meant to be saved and what it meant to walk with Jesus in all of life. See, church leaders, they, they, they taught me what, what it looked like to find freedom from sin in Jesus Christ and hope in the midst of suffering. Church leaders took, took time out of their busy days to, to help a, a young man who felt a call to preach, a call to ministry, but yet had no idea what that would mean, and took time out of their busy days to sit with me and, and counsel me about it and talk with me and tell me about their own walks with Christ and, and their own experience as under-shepherds or pastors in the church. You see, church leaders, they... They trained me for ministry and they taught me how to love and counsel people and how to walk with them as they walk with and after Jesus Christ. They taught me how to love all kinds of people, even the difficult ones. And, and like we talked about when we asked the question, what is the church? That's the thing about the church, right, is we're all pretty difficult, aren't we? Myself included. We are, are broken, messed up people saved by the grace of God and coming from all different backgrounds and walks of life and brought together around this same Jesus as we seek to follow him together and stumble along the way, encouraging one another in our faith as we do. Church leaders helped me and still help me to grow as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. They helped me to grow as a husband as I learn progressively how to love my wife. They continue to help me grow as a pastor as I seek to lead and love you well. And they continue to help me grow as a friend as I seek to be an encouragement to others in my life as they seek to understand what the gospel is and how to follow Christ. You see, church leaders, they do all of these kinds of things for us. And maybe that's your story. But for some of you, maybe that's not it. Maybe what you've experienced with church leadership 
is completely different. And so the idea that we would take a Sunday or, or even a little bit of time to look at this question of what is church leaders just kind of turns you off. Because when you think about your own life and you think about the church leaders that you've seen, you've seen corruption. You've seen abuse of authority and power. You've seen churches divided and split and damaged and destroyed. Maybe you've even experienced abuse at the hands of a church leader. And so when you think about church leadership, you don't have fond memories of people walking with you in the midst of your pain and showing you the hope that is in Jesus Christ. You have memories of pain and strife and relational conflict and damage at the hands of church leaders. And so talking about what are church leaders is much more difficult for you because you haven't seen a whole lot of good when it comes to leadership. And if that's where you're at today, just as a pastor and, and as someone who has seen leadership abused, who has seen the way it damages and affects people and families and churches, I, I'm so sorry. But, but if, the, if this has been your experience with the church, if this has been your experience with church leaders, could I just ask you to... To, to open your heart and, and hear from Jesus today. T to hear not what I would have to say to you, but, but to hear what his word would, would speak into your life. As we walk through 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Peter 5 and some other verses in scripture today, would you ask Jesus to show you what church leadership can be like? Would, would you say, God, would, would you help me not to hold on to some of the damaging, destructive things that I've seen in my past? And, and would you give me a vision for what things ought to look like in your bride, in the church? Because Jesus is able to do amazing things through broken, messed up people like you and me. And so I hope if that's where you've been, I hope that as we walk through this together today, I hope that you'll begin to see what Jesus intends for church leaders to be and do. And I hope you'll pray for church leaders that, that fail in these areas. I hope you'll pray for me and Cameron as, as we seek to be and do these things for you and ultimately for Christ. But with that said, let, let's jump in and look today at what are church leaders? Who are they? What should they do? What should this look like? So in Scripture, there are, there are two primary types of church leaders that we read about, hear about, and talk about, and those are pastors and deacons. And so today we're going to focus in on what the Bible has to say about pastors, who they should be, what they should do, and things. And Wednesday night, what we looked at at our covenant member meeting was what are deacons and what should deacons be doing in the church? Because the role of deacon, just like the role of pastor, is important to the church of Jesus Christ. You see, and, and if you want to know more about that, you can go back and, and listen to what we looked at on Wednesday night when we asked the question, what are deacons? And when we uh, voted to affirm uh, three deacons coming on, uh, and you can kind of celebrate what God is doing in this church through the deacons we are blessed with to have here. 
But today we're going to focus in on this question, what, what are pastors and what should pastors be doing in the church? Because we've already taken some time to look at deacons on Wednesday. But just to kind of understand, just a simple way to kind of distinguish some differences between pastors and deacons, because there are some similarities, but there's also some key differences. I think an easy way to think about this is just to say that pastors are, are more primarily leaders who serve by leading. That's how they serve in the church. And deacons are more primarily servants of the church who lead in the church by their service. And so there's similarities and differences that are important there. And that's kind of a helpful way to just think through some of those as a flyby. But so today, who, who are pastors? Well, the Bible, and in 1 Timothy 3, we read this word overseer, okay? And, and, and you and I, when we typically refer to this office that Paul is writing to Timothy, his disciple, about here in 1 Timothy 3, we tend to use the word pastor most of the time in our context. In other churches, they might use the term elder to refer to this same office, to this same function in the church. And these words, pastor, elder, overseer, or even bishop, you'll see in a footnote in some of your translations, these are referring to the same person in the church, the same office, the same function. So they're synonymous terms, and and using those different terms can kind of get at some of the subtle differences and aspects of the role of pastor. But essentially what we need to know is that when the Bible speaks of pastors, elders, bishops, overseers, it's speaking of the same role, the same function in the church. And so the question is, who are these pastors? What are they to be like? Well, 1 Timothy 3, that's what we read about. And I think one of the first things and and one of the most controversial things that we probably will talk about that I'm not going to be able to spend enough time on, just to be honest with you, is, is that pastors are biblically qualified men who serve the church in this role and function. And so you'll notice in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 3 that when, he's, when Paul speaks about this office of pastor, he speaks about men who are qualified for this office. And, and when he speaks about the office of deacon, he speaks about both men and women who are qualified for this office. And, and, and this idea that, that pastors or, or those who lead the church in this way, who teach the word of God every week and who, who lead the church in this way are, are only biblically qualified men is very controversial in our time and day. And and what I want you to know, even though we can't spend a ton of time looking at why the Bible says this, I want you to know that the reason it, it talks about this is not because of a difference in value or equality. It has nothing to do with value, dignity, or even gifting. When when the Bible talks about women not serving in this role of pastor or elder and, and teaching authoritatively in the church gathered. It's not saying that women are somehow not equal with men, that they're somehow less dignified or less valuable or less gifted. I know some women who are are at least just as, if not far superior to my own giftings in some areas. And I hope that you do as well. There are some women who serve in our churches that are able to teach the scriptures in certain contexts in a profound and helpful way. 
So, so whenever scripture is talking about the pastors being biblically qualified men, it has nothing to do with an equality issue or a gifting issue. It has nothing to do with that. What Paul appeals to is, is God's way of ordering things in his design. So hopefully you'll remember back when we talked in Ephesians about the roles of men and women in marriage and in the home. And in Genesis, when we talked about God's creation of man and woman, we talked about how God made both man and woman equally in his image with inherent value, dignity, and worth. And they were both to represent and reflect who God is to the world around them. And that we talked about in marriage how God has given these different roles for men and women to play in that relationship, not because there's any difference in value, worth, or dignity, or even in gifting, or intelligence, or anything that you might think about, but because he's just given them different roles to demonstrate something about himself and the way he relates to his people. You see, the differences between roles and functions in the church and in the home between men and women has nothing to do with value, dignity, or even gifting. It has to do everything with God and what he's trying to show through us. And so I I wish we could kind of camp out there and I could kind of address some more questions about that. And and I promise sometime, here's, here's my promise to you. Sometime we will take time and we will go through 1 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul speaks about this in a little more detail and some other passages and we will look at this in more detail, okay? But for now, let's continue to look at what Paul has to say about other characteristics of, of pastors, what pastors are supposed to be and do in the church. So 1 Timothy 3, uh, we see in Scripture that pastors are biblically qualified men, which means they're men who are called to this office. And, and, and just one more thought on this. If, if women do not thrive under the leadership of a pastor, then he should not be a pastor. Okay? When, when Paul and, and other writers of Scripture talk about pastors being biblically qualified men, These are the kind of men who see giftings in the women in their church and celebrate them. These are the kind of men who believe that God has called both men and women to serve in the church and create avenues for that to take place. Anyways, I'm going to get on a a tangent there. We've got to keep going. I don't have much time. All right. But uh, did you notice I used this word qualified? Pastors, this is the other thing we have to see. Pastors are qualified. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And so Paul says, What ought to characterize the life of a pastor is he should be above reproach. There should be no legitimate biblical reason to say or question why this man should be a pastor in God's church. And and we're going to continue to look at what this above reproach phrase means because Paul begins to explain what it looks like in the life of a man called to be a pastor. He begins to explain this term above reproach by listing out some other characteristics or qualities that would qualify a man for this office and function in Christ's church. So he says to be above reproach, 
the first thing he says, it, it looks like to be the husband of one wife. It means to be faithful to their current spouse. So, so there's been this common idea that there's been a couple of misconceptions about this. When, when people talk about pastors, sometimes they begin to think that pastors have to be married, which is just simply not true. That's not what Paul is getting at here when he says a pastor should be the husband of one wife. He's saying he ought to be devoted to his current spouse if he has one. He's not saying that to be a pastor, you have to be married. In fact, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 how singleness is a gift from God to be used for his own glory, your good, and the gift of the church. Paul even says that it might be preferable. And some of you are sinfully thinking, yeah, I would say so. And we can talk later about that. But... But Paul views marriage and singleness both as gifts to Christ's people and gifts to the church. And Paul, when he says pastors ought to be the husband of one wife, he's not saying that they should be married. He's saying that if they are married, they ought to be devoted to their spouse. He's also not saying, this is where some people get a little conflicty about this, He's also not saying that a pastor can never, ever have been divorced. Paul, Paul does not put that requirement on pastors. He does not put that requirement on deacons either. When, when Paul is saying the pastor or the deacon ought to be the husband of one wife, he means if they are currently married, then they ought to be absolutely devoted to their spouse. They ought to be faithful. They ought not to be going outside the marriage covenant. They ought to be faithful to their current spouse. He's not trying to prevent someone who has had a divorce in their past from serving the church in a certain way. He's not trying to prevent someone who's single from serving the church in a certain way. He's saying if you are married and you desire to be an elder or an overseer or a pastor then the first thing we look at is your marriage. The first thing we ought to ask someone who aspires to this office, if they're married, we ought to go to their wife and say, do you think he should be a pastor? And if she says no, that's where the conversation ends. Because this is what it first looks like to be above reproach, is to be faithful to your current spouse in such a way that they thrive. Because as Paul's going to go on to say, if, if you cannot care for your home, then you cannot care for the bigger and broader family of Christ's church. So this is the first thing that Paul gives us to look at, is the husband of one wife, faithful to your current spouse. Second, he says that they ought to be sober-minded. They ought to be self-controlled. They ought not to be a drunkard. I hope it's obvious why pastors shouldn't be characterized by drunkenness, why it would be problematic for me to be taking some shots before I got up here on Sunday morning. It affects your judgment. If you're controlled by anything but the Spirit of God, then, then what you're teaching is not going to be what the Spirit is leading you to teach, what the Spirit has spoken in His Word. 
If your life is dominated by alcohol, by addiction, by anything other than God's spirit, then it's a problem. Pastors are they're called to be sober-minded, self-controlled, not drunkards. This doesn't mean that they can't ever enjoy God's good gift of an alcoholic beverage. That's not what Paul's saying here. The Bible doesn't teach that. It just doesn't. When we look at the scriptures, it, it, it doesn't communicate that to us. See, whenever we think about qualifications for an office in the church, for service in the church, the Bible must be our standard. The Bible sets very high standards for leadership in the church. But we would be making a mistake to take what Scripture has said and say, that's not good enough, let's go higher. Because you and I, we have sinful, broken hearts, and we're not able to have that kind of clear-headed perspective. That's why we need God's Word to tell us. You see, on the marriage and, and drinking issues, it would be seriously problematic for us if we required pastors to meet a higher standard than Paul or Jesus did. If what we require for pastors or, or deacons to serve in the church of Christ, is, is, if Jesus doesn't meet that standard, we've got a problem. Because Jesus was perfect. And Jesus was single, and Jesus drank wine. And so, friends, we need to have high standards for our church leadership. But they ought to be Christ's standards. They ought to be the standard of Christ's likeness. That's what we ought to be calling our leaders to. That's what we ought to be calling each, every one of us to, is Christ's likeness. And ultimately, as we go through these, these qualities or these qualifications of a pastor, and then if you read further on the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, these aren't just things that should characterize church leaders. They're things that ought to characterize each and every one of us. Our lives ought to look like this because we've been shaped by, molded by, transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so pastors, they ought to have self-control. They ought not to be dominated by any kind of substance. They ought to be led by, filled with God's spirit. Next, they ought to be respectable. And they ought to also be, if you read further on, it says they ought to be well thought of by outsiders, meaning non-believers, those who don't follow after Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, when we look at the church, these kinds of men ought to be respectable by those in the church. And then as we think about those outside the church, and as they look at these men, they ought to have a certain level of respect for them as well. This has to do with how a pastor carries himself. It doesn't mean that everybody in the church and everybody outside the church should always agree with this guy. It means this type of man ought to be respectable. So, so that when, when you disagree with him, it, you can still respect him. When, when, when those in the community don't believe the things that he believes, they can still look at his life and say, yeah, I get why he's a pastor. I don't see any, any moral grounds for disqualification. They don't, see, they don't look at this man and say, what do you mean he's a pastor? He just yelled at me at the grocery store last week. I don't have this type of perception of this man. 
Instead, while they might disagree with him, while they might even argue against him, while, while they might not like the things that he says and teaches or believes, both those inside the church and outside the church ought to have a certain level of respect for how this man carries himself. It's about his life, not about whether or not you agree with him. Does that make sense? Being respectable, because there, there ought to be times where, where you, you disagree with your pastor. If what Cameron and I are called to do is to preach and teach the scriptures, then there are going to be times when the scriptures correct me and Cameron. And there are going to be times when the scriptures are going to correct you as those who follow Christ and who still struggle in a broken world with sin. If you never disagree with the scriptures, if it, I mean, great, but I think you're not seeing something in your life. There ought to be times where what Cameron and I teach challenges you where it ought to begin to call you towards Christ-likeness away from sin that you've been struggling with, and maybe you haven't seen it yet. And there ought to be times when what we're preaching is vehemently disagreed with and even opposed by those outside the church. If what your pastor preaches is never problematic for the unbelievers that surround the church and the community, then what he's preaching is not the scriptures or the gospel. There ought to be times when people disagree with the pastor. And not because he's done something wrong, but because he's preaching the word of God. There ought to be times when this is present, but when this is present, the pastor ought to be someone who carries himself in such a way and teaches the word of God in such a way that he's still respectable. He's not domineering. He's respectable. He's also hospitable. Paul says that they ought to be hospitable. And, and this doesn't mean that the pastor has to have you over every Friday night. I love you all. If I had you over every Friday night, I think I'd start to have some marriage problems because I wouldn't be spending any time with my wife. And then I would be disqualified, wouldn't I? All right, see? So this doesn't mean that your pastor has to have you over all the time. What it means, though, is what characterizes his life is a desire to use everything that he is and everything that God has gifted him with for the mission of Christ so that people would come to know Jesus, so that people would be discipled and learn how to follow him in all of life. This means the way he uses his resources is towards this end. This means he, he shepherds his family to understand that we're called to serve Jesus together in our community and in our church. Being hospitable has to do with what your pastor wants to do with what God has gifted him with. He ought to want to see people come to know Christ and walk with him. This is what it means to be hospitable, is to use what God has given you for the good of others as you seek to call them to follow after Jesus. Next, Paul says that the pastor ought to be able to teach. This is the one distinguishing characteristic that ought to characterize the pastor's life that distinguishes them from what ought to characterize the deacon's life. This doesn't mean that deacons can't teach. Some of our deacons are able to teach. We do have them teach in different contexts. 
And there's deacons in Scripture that teach the Scriptures, that preach the gospel. But it's not a qualification for being a deacon. You don't have to be able to teach the Scriptures or to teach the gospel to be a deacon. You have to believe the Scriptures, believe the gospel with a clear conscience to be a deacon. But to be a pastor, an elder, an overseer in the church, you have to be able to teach and communicate the Scriptures. And so one of the things that we do with, with men who feel a calling to ministry is we begin to try and teach and train them to do this. And that doesn't mean that they have to have this amazing gift of preaching from the get-go the first time they preach. But it means that over time and over the years, as they continue to grow, they learn how to communicate God's truth in an effective and helpful way for God's people. This is a quality of a pastor. They're able to teach the gospel. They're able to teach the scriptures and what the scriptures have to say. Pastors are also gentle peacemakers. So Paul says they're able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. They're not quarrelsome. They don't, they don't start fights. But we live in a culture that for a long time has said that masculinity and even leadership ought to be identified with strength, power, and dominance. And this is not what the scriptures have to teach about leadership in the church. This is not the biblical vision of leadership that Jesus himself gives us. Instead, pastors ought to be gentle. There, there was once, not too long ago, I, I, I saw some Christians arguing with each other and, and destroying one another on social media in front of the whole world. And I commented, brothers and sisters, we ought to be seeking to find unity around the gospel here instead of dividing over secondary and tertiary issues and fighting about it in front of everyone, everyone's eyes. We ought to unite around what unites us. And some of the responses I got on Twitter were vicious. I, I, I had this one person tell me that I had no backbone. And for, and for a minute, that kind of hurt my feelings, you know? And, but then I realized... I don't want to be known for having a backbone because it's not godly. I don't want to be known for having a backbone. I want to be known for being able to confront others with gentleness. I want to be known for speaking the truth in love, which doesn't mean that your pastor never confronts you. I mean, Jesus himself, he, one time he threw some tables Right? But what characterized the life of Christ was this gentleness towards those caught in sin and this ability to confront them in the midst of it with love and truth. This is what pastors ought to be known for and able to do. They ought to not be quarrelsome. They ought not to be the ones starting fights in churches and, and conflict all the time. They ought to be able to confront church members that are caught in sin and struggling with it in a gentle but forceful way. They're also not lovers of money. This, and this doesn't mean that, that they should not be paid well. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't have money. What this means is that money, the love of money, does not control them, but the love of God and the love for others. 
Back to this hospitable idea that what they want to do with their money is use it for God's kingdom and the good of people they're calling to know Jesus and walk with him. And so whenever, whenever we, each Sunday, whenever we have our time of worship that we're giving through, whenever we pause to talk about how giving is an act of worship, what I want you to know about your pastors is that we give with you. We don't, we don't love money and seek after it in a greedy way. The first thing that I do with every paycheck I get from the church is I give to the church. And if you know anything about pastors' finances, it's not because I've got a lot of money. It's because I believe as a Christian with all of you, I'm called to give to Christ's church and to the mission of Jesus. We're called to do this together. And so pastors aren't lovers of money. They, they jump in and they're generous just like all the other Christians are called to be. If pastors don't lead out in generosity, then you're not going to have a very generous church. May God help us to continue to grow in this kind of love for God and people. They're also leaders who care for their families. Uh, verses 4 and 5 says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? See, when we talked about the church a few weeks ago, we talked about how the church is a family. And what characterizes the pastor is an ability to care for his own family in such a way that says, yeah, he could care for a larger family. This doesn't mean that men who serve as a pastor have to have all their children believing the gospel and, and doing everything right. It means that they're able to teach their children the scriptures, point them to Christ. It means that they're able to... Uh, manage their homes in such a way that says, you know what, with, because in our homes, we all know this, in our homes, we're a bunch of broken, messed up sinners that need grace, that need Jesus. And it's the same thing in the broader family of the church. And so if a pastor doesn't know how to shepherd sinners in his own home, then he won't know how to shepherd sinners in the broader family of God. And so Paul says he's got to be able to do this. This is what characterizes the life of a pastor. Then we see that he's also spiritually mature. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Here's the biggest problem that I see with a lot of men who feel a call to ministry. They feel like what that calling is, is that they have everything figured out and that God has somehow called them to correct everyone else. I remember in classes at the seminary, I sat there and I would be baffled by the questions that some of these guys would present to professors who had been teaching the scriptures for decades. And they would act like they were idiots. And it, and it broke my heart because a lot of these men will end up in churches and they'll ruin them. You see, pastors are, are spiritually mature. It doesn't mean they're old. It means that their walk with Jesus is sound. It means they're characterized by a kind of humility that says that I know, just like all of you, that I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. That I, I need the same truths that I proclaim week by week. 
Pastors ought to be spiritually mature and humble. Even as they preach and teach the scriptures with boldness and as they command people to follow after Jesus Christ. So real quick, what what do church leaders do? What do pastors do? I think there's three main things that pastors are called to do in the church. We've looked at what pastors are called to be like. And God help us because we fail all the time. God, give us the grace to do so better and better as we seek to follow after you. But pastors in scripture, they're called to teach, they're called to pray, and they're called to lead. There's a number of things that fall under each of those categories, but, but in Acts chapter 6, here's what we read. In this passage where deacons are introduced to the church, it also talks about the role of pastors. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, so the whole church, and said, It is not right, listen to this, that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. He's saying, select some deacons to serve the church, to meet some practical needs that we're not able to meet because of time constraints, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, which means that as your pastors, Cameron and I, are called to proclaim the scriptures to you. We're called to preach from this book and open it up with you. We're called to preach the word of God and all the counsel of God. We're called to pray for you. And in elsewhere in scripture, we read we're, we're called to lead you as well. First Peter 5, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter speaking, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. He says to pastors, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then look at what he says. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so he says, pastors... Lead your churches as shepherds. Get out in front. Be an example. It says, pastors, oversee the church. Look at what's happening and prayerfully consider how you might teach the scriptures to correct where we've gone astray. Look at how you might help those who are struggling and caught in sin with God's word. Pray for them as you do so. Oversee the church, oversee the sheep as a shepherd, encouraging, correcting. And as you do so, do so as those who are serving the chief chief shepherd. Because like we said at the beginning, Jesus is the one who's in charge of the church. And under shepherds, like Cameron and myself, we're called to serve him. As we lead and love you, we're called to do so for him. And so what he's asked us to do is to teach the scriptures, both publicly and in private when we meet with you, 
as we talk through the things that are going on in your life, or to teach you how to follow Jesus in all of life from the Word of God. Then we're called to pray for you. And we do. Every, every Sunday before I get up to preach, if I haven't been doing so the whole service long, during that song we sing before I get up here, I'm singing with you, but I'm also praying for you. I'm praying that God would use his word to speak to us. I'm praying that God would help the hurting among us to see hope in Jesus Christ. I'm praying that God would help us to see our sin clearly and see the grace of God and how it transforms us and makes us clean. I'm praying that God would use his word to lead us and guide us. Because what we're called to do is to shepherd you. To lead by example, to teach the scriptures, and to pray that God would use all of this to make us more like Christ. Because that's the goal, friends, is we all serve the chief, the chief shepherd. He's the one we're called to follow. So let's do it together. Let's pray. King Jesus, you are our chief shepherd. You are the one who leads us in all of life. You are the one we can trust and hope in, even when churches or even church leaders have failed us. And you are the one that we look to because you alone are perfect, good, always true. And so, Jesus, we ask for your help. God, Cameron and I ask for your help. Our church, we ask for your help together. We ask that you would help us as we seek to pursue you. We want to love you more. We want to serve you more together. So God, would you help us as we seek to honor you? In Jesus' name.